0: Welcome to Because I Want to Know, the podcast where I interview guests about their crazy unique occupations or life experiences. I'm your host, Leslie Fear. So let's get into it, shall we? Hey everyone, today I'm joined with Bee and they are a former member of the Church of Scientology and I want to welcome them to my show.
1: Hi, thank you so much for having me on.
0: Well B, it's very nice to have you on my show. Um, I found you on TikTok and I saw your wonderful videos about bead making and we'll talk about that soon. But I would love to just get right into this, because there's a lot to unpack, uh, what you went through in the Church of Scientology. So can you tell me kind of how it started with you, and then we'll go from there?
1: Yeah, absolutely. So when I was a child, like six, seven, eight, something like that, my mom got remarried. The guy she remarried was a Scientologist, and she pretty immediately started working at our local church. So I was not born into Scientology, but I was raised in it. And from the age of like 10 or 11, basically going into middle school, um, from that time on, I went purely like only to a Scientology school, pretty much had very little contact with anybody who wasn't a Scientologist. When I was 15, I joined staff, started working at our local church in Scientology. They call those orgs or organizations, but it was our local org. So I worked there from age 15 to 20. When I was 20, I joined the Sior, which is the Scientology kind of equivalent to like monkhood or being a nun. Like you work only for the church. You live in church quarters. The church feeds you. The church dictates what you do with every single second of every day. Wow. So I did that from age 20 to like 28 at which point I kind of in desperation fled from California to Minnesota and uh, started my life over.
0: Yeah, uh, and I understand why and we'll get into that because let's talk a little bit about the founder of this, L. Ron Hubbard. He was a former author. He wrote science fiction and fantasy novels and he also liked to captain boats. And that's where you get some of this uh, C terminology when you talk about Scientology. So do you talk about L. Ron Hubbard much in your teachings? Does that even kind of coincide
1: in any of this? So in Scientology, you are taught that L. Ron Hubbard or LRH, it's they abbreviate it yeah. into LRH, Um, That's how everybody refers to him. He's the founder and that he is source. And that's what source with like a capital S because he's the source of all knowledge and uh, the source of all Scientology teachings. Mm. And basically his word is law. He was already dead, like long dead by the time we got into Scientology. But people still refer to him as like Ron or LRH or whatever, almost as if he's still around. And so he wrote a lot. He wrote just an insane amount of policy, Mm -hmm. textbooks, information that's in Scientology. And basically, Scientologists are taught that his word is law. He is never wrong. Anything that could be construed as contradicting itself, which, believe me, there is a lot that contradicts itself. But anything that can be construed as contradicting itself isn't. It's actually all exactly true and correct. And, you know, if you think that it's contradicting itself, then you have a misunderstanding and therefore need to study harder, basically, and figure out like what your misunderstanding is because he didn't contradict himself. Stuff like that. Wow.
0: And I do know that when you left, when you finally made that decision, and we'll get there, too, you have no contact with your blood relatives there, correct?
1: Right, so for me personally, my parents got divorced when I was like two or three, very, very young, Mm -hmm. and my mom had primary custody. We saw our dad, like my little brother and I, we would see our dad on the weekends. My dad, my biological father, was never a Scientologist, um, but he did have his own problems. He ended up getting into hard drugs and was just not a super reliable person in my life Mm -hmm. for very often. And my mom, my stepdad, and my little brother all were hardcore Scientologists. My mom and my little brother were on staff, worked at a church, and my stepdad kind of just like supported them. So when I left the Sea Org and when I left Scientology, very suddenly um, in Scientology, if you work for the church and then you leave without permission, Mm -hmm. that is something that is specifically called a blow. You're blowing And that is something that people get declared suppressive for, which in Scientology, they believe that there are kind of like three groups of people. There's most people, which are good people, who want other people to survive and be happy and do well. There are two and a half percent of the world's population are suppressive people who are pure evil and all they ever want is to bring everybody else down and make them suffer. And there are people who are potential trouble sources, or PTS, and those are people who are connected to suppressive people. So when you do something that Scientology considers to be a hideous crime, you can be declared a suppressive person. When you get declared a suppressive person, no Scientologist is allowed to have any contact with you whatsoever. So. One of the things that is like an automatic declare is doing what I did, which is leaving with very suddenly and without any warning and refusing to come back. Mm -hmm. So I don't know that like for sure that I've been declared because nobody will tell me, but based on Scientology policy, if they're following policy, then I'm declared and my family won't talk to me. Uh, Okay. And
0: right there. And you and I talked before we started recording, we had talked on Instagram several times, messaging back and forth. And you said, I'm very impressed that you knew about the bite model Stephen Hassan's bite bottle. And I am very aware of it because of MLMs and Mormonism and uber-evangelical and any of these extreme religions who indoctrinate their members in a way that is so harsh on their life and what they do and what they can say and who they can be with and purity contracts and all the things. I know that at one point you got married while you were in Scientology, correct?
1: That is correct. Okay.
0: Was that something you decided to do? Was that something they wanted you to do? How did that work?
1: So, when I was still on staff, before I joined the Sea Org, I was just like a local staff member. So, I lived in my mom's house and I worked at the org, the local church, but they didn't like feed me, they didn't clothe me. I did work there 80 hours a week for zero pay, but oh. technically, I was not a Sea Org member. Mm-hmm. So when I was 17, one of the other staff members who I think he was 20 at the time came back from training and we started dating and we dated for like three years and got engaged and then we joined the Sea Org together and we got married right before we joined the Sea Org because if you're a Sea Org member, you cannot have any sort of physical sexual contact with somebody that you're not married to. Like there's no, no premarital sex allowed. You can't live in the same dorm room with them. Basically, you can't do anything further than hold hands and, like, chastely kiss. Even, literally anything more than, you know, leave room for Jesus. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Pardon my expression. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah, Like, anything more than that, you get in big, big trouble. Right. So, we got married the day we joined the Sea Org. Specifically so that we could keep living together because by that point we had been engaged and dating for like three or four years. It had been a while. So we did get married and then we lived together very briefly before he was sent to Florida for further training. And he was in Florida for a couple years. I want to say two to three years. I don't remember the exact timelines because this was all like mid 2010s. It's been a little while. And then he came back and we were living together in our own kind of dorm room for another like year or two. And then I got sent out on mission. So he was living in California in our dorm room and I was in San Diego. And then I was in Mountain View, like Bay Area for a couple of years, which is where I ended up leaving from was uh, Mountain View. Okay. But yeah, so we got married young, um, real young. Don't recommend that. <laughs> well, I know
0: that you ended up getting pregnant, and I think you got pregnant a couple times. What happened with those?
1: So, I did get pregnant twice. I was on birth control, but I also was on a real whack sleep schedule because when you're in the Sea Org, the church literally like owns your life. Yes. Uh, your boss dictates when you're allowed to go to bed, mm-hmm. and your meal times are, you know, can be cut short. I was smoking a lot, you know. Mm-hmm. I probably missed some pills, honestly, because I was running on two, three, four hours of sleep most of the time. Anyway, so I got pregnant. It was an accident. I found out that I was pregnant Um, the first time that I got pregnant. I voluntarily got an abortion to give the backstory on this or give the explanation. When you're a Sea Org member, you can't have kids. That's that's it. Period. There are no kids allowed in the Sea Org. Um, If you are a Sea Org member and you get pregnant, you have two options: one, you get an abortion; two you and your partner, your husband, both leave the Sea Org. Mm. Because of child support laws in California, if one person left, the other person would also have to leave. Because if the husband remained in the Sea Org and had a kid and had to pay child support, you get paid $50 a week if you get paid. Mm. And there's no way that you would be able to maintain any kind of child support payments So because my husband had done, like, three years of super expensive, super intensive training, he was very valuable. Like, he was very financially valuable um, to the Sea Org. And so it was really important that he not leave. I was maybe more, slightly more expendable, um, but he definitely wasn't. And I was a very devoted Sea Org member. Like, I was a very devout Scientologist, And had basically been raised from a very young age to believe that the end of the world is coming. The only way to stop the end of the world is to convert enough people into Scientology as possible to like try to, you know, spiritually save more people than are going crazy and like ruining the world. It's literally explained in terms of a balance type of thing. Like if enough people can be turned into Scientologists and go clear, which Ms. Remini has like an amazing, she's just a very good explanation of all that on her show. But it's basically like, you know, if we can balance it out with making more people clear than there are people on Earth who are crazy, then the world won't end and it'll all be okay. Yeah. And I had been raised with this since, yeah. since I was super, super young and pretty much, you know, since I was a teenager, only around other Scientologists. Mm,
0: yeah, Well, and the thing is, it's, it's just like any other of those really uber religions where you are being indoctrinated, of course, but you're also being just so controlled. And it's just it's mind boggling to me the control they have over you and you don't get a lot of sleep and they only feed you at certain times and they only allow you to do certain things. And that is so detrimental especially when you're a young kid and you have no idea what the world is all about and right. and and I and I don't understand how people can just all of a sudden decide you know, Scientology is the best way, or Mormonism is the best way, or Evangelical as, you know, being a Christian is the only way, and it's not. I mean, it's just, it's mind-boggling to me. So, unfortunately, and trigger warning to anyone who's had an abortion, and I'm so sorry that that had to happen to you, but um, and some people want to have them, and I understand that too. There are two sides to both coins, but you were pretty much forced to have both of them, correct?
1: So, the first time I voluntarily had an abortion, I didn't have mm-hmm. another choice right. because right. how valuable my husband was, you know, the situation being in the Sea Org, like if I had to leave the Sea Org, then I didn't know what I was going to do. Like I graduated from a Scientology high school when I was 15 years old and immediately started working for the church, had no other job experience, no other education. Like, right. Truly, I really felt like if I didn't work for the church, then I had no other route to take. Like I didn't, I, what was I going to do? Go work at like McDonald's forever? Like, no,
0: I know. And you know, I, I don't know about you, or I don't even know if you've done this, but I know that you do listen to podcasts and there's a really good deep dive on Elron Ron Hubbard on Last Podcast on the Left. I don't know if you've ever heard them, but-
1: I to them to go to Okay, um, so you know. That was one of the first things that I did when I got out of Scientology. Like, when I got to Minnesota and I got here by like day two or day three, I was binge watching Leah Remini's show and I was binge listening to that last podcast series in like an attempt to deprogram myself.
0: Was that like the best deep dive you've ever heard on L. Ron Hubbard? They did like a three-part series, and I couldn't believe the background on this man. He cheated on his wife. He cheated on taxes. He was indicted. He was a liar, a thief, everything you could ever imagine a man could be and more. And he's got this religion now behind him that everybody believes this is the true way to God. And he's all about reincarnation. And honestly, I believe in reincarnation, so I'm not going to, you know, diss that. But it's just the fact that I can't believe this is happening still. I can't believe this is still happening and the man's not even alive anymore.
1: Right. Well, here's the thing. Scientologists don't know all of that about L. Ron Hubbard, first of all. Mm -hmm. If you're in Scientology you get the sanitized church version of everything and you specifically get warned that because suppressive people don't want Scientology to succeed, the internet is full of lies and really carefully crafted lies with a bunch of like SPs all backing up these lies about L. Ron Hubbard trying to discredit him and trying to discredit Scientology in an attempt to like end the world. And when I say it like that, obviously, it sounds really stupid. But when you have been literally raised to believe that there are evil people trying to get you for your religion for years, like, yeah, it's pretty believable.
0: Well, And they think, well, hey, if they are trying to stop us, it must be the true one. It must be the true religion. If they're trying to stop us, you know, it's the right one then. You know, it's just exactly. So when you said you went on missions, I'm curious, because was it like a Mormon kind of thing where you would literally go somewhere and knock on people's doors? Or how would that work for you?
1: So missions in Scientology are different than missions in Mormonism. In Scientology, the only people that go on missions are Seer members. So you have to have like dedicated your life to the church and signed a billion year contract and done the whole thing. But what what it is, (laughs) is that... They will send out Sea Org members to various places that don't have, like, a Sea Org base. Mm -hmm. And so the ones that I was going on was when orgs were being opened up as ideal orgs, and they were doing all the renovations, and they were recruiting a bunch of staff and, like, trying to build up their numbers and do, like, a big grand opening. And then afterwards, their production statistics would be really closely and heavily monitored to make sure that... After the org opened, they were delivering and like making a bunch of money and doing a bunch of services and stuff, partly because they wanted the money, and then partly because this was in 2016, 17, 18, and this was around the time that... It was around the time that Leah came out and did her big book and expose, and the show was filming and the show was airing, and there was a lot of media attention and former Scientologists speaking out and specifically talking about how millions of dollars were being spent on new buildings that would then sit empty. So there was a huge push and pressure to uh, make sure that when the building opened, People were also like procured to fill up the buildings mm, so that okay. that bad PR would go away. Wow. So I was being sent out to these orgs after they were opening to make sure that like the delivery statistics were doing well and that people were actually like showing up and getting services and, and stuff like that. Right.
0: Now, and you're taught while you're in Scientology, you're taught it's evil do not go into the outside world. You you know, if you do have a cell phone, they pretty much take it away from you. You're limited access on any kind of internet. They pretty much listen to every phone conversation you have, I think. I'm not sure about that. Correct me if I'm wrong. Because it's just an evil world, and they have to watch every move you make. That doesn't sound culty at all, but so what do you have to say about that?
1: So that, that is specifically for Sea Orc members. Um, oh, okay. That is not for just public Scientologists. If you're just you know, Joe Schmo, and you're going to your local church once a week to, like, get spiritual counseling, they're not going to be bugging your phone and, like, listening to your phone conversations and all that, and even as, like, a staff member, you're not really going to experience that. Once you join the Sea Org, it is much more monitored. Um, All of the phone Mm -hmm. lines in a lot of places are monitored, not Mm -hmm. all of them, but a lot of them. They also don't necessarily need to monitor the phone lines. I worked at continental level, so I worked for the continental management organization for the western half of the United States. Okay. So that is, you've got like the int base where David Miscavige is, which everyone's heard about that has the hole and like all that stuff. And then like a level below that, you've got international management and then a level below that you've got continental management so it was very like kind of middle management level of sea org nobody was really super privy to any like big secrets it was much more like kind of day-to-day week-to-week keep everything running keep the lights on busy work type stuff
0: right Just constant work, work, work. So you're older now. And let's talk about when you started realizing I'm in hell. (laughs) I don't want to be here anymore. And I think you're probably in your mid 20s area. Am I right about that? Yeah,
1: I was in my late 20s. I was like 28. Okay, okay.
0: So you know, you were starting to go, you know what, if it's this bad in here, it can't be more evil out there. I'm going to take a chance. Is that how you were thinking about it?
1: Yeah, I mean, probably just put some trigger warnings because it came down to a decision of I can kill myself now or I can try to go and live.
0: Yeah, I I mean, I understand that. I really do. I mean, you're not living, you know, especially with you being so, in my mind, higher up than most people are in Scientology. You're in a position where you have no freedom. You really don't. And I don't think you were very happy in your marriage either.
1: Correct. Yeah, I wasn't particularly happy in my marriage. So bringing everything back, let's rewind a couple years. um, Because I had both abortions in, I think it was 2015. I don't have access to like any notes. I don't have access to anybody who I can side check timelines with. So I have done my best. When I first got out, I tried to write down a bunch of timelines and stuff as I remembered them. Mm -hmm. But the exact timing is going to probably be a little bit off, but I know I had two abortions in one year, mm. and I'm pretty sure that it was 2015. It might have been 2016. Okay. I'm so the first sorry. abortion was more or less voluntary. Um, I got pregnant on accident. I found out I was pregnant. I went straight to the medical officer. I didn't even tell my husband. I just went to the medical officer, and I was like, hey, um, I'm pregnant, and I need an abortion. We went. We got the abortion done. And I told my husband after I had already taken the pill to have the abortion. So he had no say in it. He didn't know. Um, Something that is additionally tragic about this is that when we had first joined the Sea Org together, what had actually happened was that I said, I'm joining the Sea Org. And he said, I don't want to join the Sea Org because I desperately want to have kids. Mm -hmm. And I said, OK, I guess we're breaking up then. Um, oh, wow. Several weeks of tumultuous things occurred. Yeah. He decided he was going to join the c with me. We joined together, we got married, whatever. So fast forward to this, and I was like, what's up? I just had an abortion. Um, he was super devastated, but he also didn't have anybody he could really talk to about it mm-hmm. because He knows the rules. Well, he knows. Yeah, he knows the rules. And also, like, being visibly upset about me having the abortion would be perceived as, like, oh, so you actually wanted to leave. And now you're upset because you weren't allowed to leave. Oh, wow. Right. Um, This is a theme. This is going to come back. Yeah. So that happened. Uh, I had the abortion. (sighs) I got in a bunch of trouble, did lower conditions. Um, very brief explanation of lower conditions for anyone who doesn't know. Yeah. If you get in trouble in Scientology, you have to basically demonstrate that you're a trustworthy member of the group by bending over backwards and groveling and doing a bunch of amends and oh. like showing people that you're really, really sorry for the horrible thing that you did. I believe that there's more like detailed explanation of this in Leah's show. Yeah. And you can find more detailed and specific descriptions of it online. But that's for brevity's sake. So had an abortion, groveled, eventually got accepted back into the group, carried on. Okay. Um maybe six or eight months later, got pregnant again, also an accident, went and said, I don't want to have an abortion. I want to have this baby. I'm not cool with having an abortion again. Uh, At which point I got separated from my husband and he got moved into a different room. So I was in our room all alone. Mm. I was taken off work. So I was no longer going to work. I was given work to do in the kitchens, just like prepping food and doing filing all alone by myself, Mm. fully like isolated for several weeks. The isolation was broken up by love bombing. Where people who I was close with would come to me and try to love bomb me into staying and having the abortion. And then also getting intensively sex checked. And what sex checking is, is basically interrogation. So oh my God. because I wanted to keep the baby, that was an automatically perceived as you want to blow, you want to leave. You don't want to be in Sea Org anymore. Mm-hmm. Um, you don't want to keep the baby because you want to keep the baby. You want to keep the baby because you have crimes that you're trying to run away from. And you're using this as a way to, like, escape the Sea Org.
0: What? Yeah. <laughs> oh, my God. And the thing is,
1: they do not put family
0: first with Scientology, clearly, or you would still have communication, I would assume with your family if they did, because I do know, uh, from what I understand about Scientology, you know, your parents, they put you in a separate area, like they go in and you're in a different area, you don't you may or may not see your parents for very long or at all for a week or two, or maybe more. Is that
1: right? Um, I mean, what you're describing is really specific, like okay. situational. Oh, okay, okay. More the thing with Scientology is that everyone is taught that every person is a infinite spiritual being. You're not your body. You're not your family connections. You know, you have this body for this lifetime, but you're going to reincarnate next lifetime. You'll be somewhere else. You have no way of knowing, you know, where you're going to be. And therefore, just because somebody is your family member, like blood relative, this lifetime... Like that doesn't actually mean anything in the scheme of things. (laughs) Satan. Like a Satan is just another word for soul. Souls don't reproduce. Souls don't split like cells. You know, it's not like a mitosis situation. And like another soul is born. So that is really heavily hammered home and that is really heavily emphasized. Like nobody comes outright and says the quiet part out loud and just says like your family doesn't matter, they're not really your family. But It is very much like, you know, what's at stake here? You're a mortal soul or like this one lifetime of random chance blood connections.
0: Okay. Uh, It's like they make up the rules as they go. I've seen that over and over with some of these cults where it's just if that one doesn't apply, well, we'll just we're just going to explain it away another way. And you got to live by it because that's just the way it is, you know, because you're living under our house. And if you're living here and we're feeding you or whatever, you're going to do it our way. Okay, so you're in your latter 20s. And you decide I've had enough. And unfortunately, you're thinking of actually taking your own life, which is I am so sorry, you even felt that way. So sorry about that. But I'm so glad that you figured it out. And I think you said you met someone on Reddit. Am I correct? (laughs) (laughs)
1: yeah so okay i'm gonna rewind for a second because i actually have not finished telling the abortion story
0: okay
1: oh sorry um no no it's it's fine there's a lot yeah oh i know Uh, it's very hard to keep track of so after several weeks of isolation i want to say two to three weeks of isolation i was finally allowed to talk to my husband again and he was allowed to like talk to me and essentially what he said was i can't make this decision for you He desperately wanted to be a father, but he also felt super guilty about maybe having to leave. He, much more than I ever did, he really thrived and fit in in the Sea Org. He was raised as a Scientologist from birth and truly had never known anything else Whereas I had a lot of family members who were not Scientologists. I had friends from elementary school who were not Scientologists. Like I had little glimpses that maybe it didn't have to be like this. Right, and he just okay. didn't. That makes
0: sense. Yeah. Essentially when it came
1: down to he was like, I need you to make this decision. I can't, mm-hmm. like, I can't even be part of making this decision. Mm-hmm. I'm going to be sad no matter what you do. So like, you just need to make a decision and I'll support whatever decision you make. Okay which is kind of a weenie move, but I get it. Yeah. Yeah. I
0: mean, it it does, it does put a lot of pressure on you and, uh, you know, especially with what you've been brought up with and what you know, and you're damned if you do and you're damned if you don't, you know, I don't know if you still want children or if you never did, you don't even really have that decision anyway, because you're so indoctrinated in this. And so is he, you feel guilty. Like you said, either way, you're going to feel sad either way. Exactly.
1: So after that, the, basically what ended up happening was I got worn down by more love bombing and interrogation and, mm. you know, just constant pressure to, to have the abortion. So I finally did. I had the abortion. Mm. And after I had the abortion, I said, OK, fine. Here we go. Let's do it. They were like, great. Now you have to be reindoctrinated." So they didn't mm. use that word. Yeah. When you join the Sea Org, you go through something that is very similar to a boot camp. It's called the EPF, Estates Project Course, Mm. and you are in like a group dormitory. Uh, It's split by gender, women with women, men with men, but you're in like a group dormitory and a bunch of bunk beds. You wake up at 6 a.m., you eat breakfast, you do hard labor for like five hours, (sighs) you eat lunch, and then you study Scientology for like seven hours, I want to say. Schedule's a little off, but basically you wake up at six, you go to bed at 10. There's mandatory like cleaning, inspections, you do jumping jacks, you do group drills, you do hard labor, you do Scientology study. There's a specific like study regimen that you have to get through, which is like your basic Sea Org training Wow. and yeah it's it's really exactly like you know the low sleep high intensity, really wear you out. And it's it's, it's a real mind. fast it's like brainwashing thing. Yeah,
0: it's the it's the behavior, information, thought, emotion control. That's exactly what this is. They, yeah. they wear you down. They make you not really cognitive of what you're doing anymore because you're so worn down. You're working so hard. They don't give you breaks. They probably don't feed you great food. And you're just almost being punished for just having a human body and doing human things, which is... Correct. I just don't even have any words.
1: Right. And it's, you have to run everywhere. You have to call everybody, sir. Like every single person, every single Sea Org member is senior to you and you have to salute them and you have to be respectful and like, you can't talk back just on and on and on. Right. So you do that when you first join the Sea Org, that's your initial indoctrination. And Then when you graduate, you become an official CRG member and you get given, you know, a uniform and you get to go do a job instead of doing hard labor all the time. So I got my second abortion. I played nice. I said, fine, I'll do it. I give up. You win. And then they said, great, you have to go back and do the EPF again. Immediately after, like the day after, basically, Uh, I got told to go do it. And I said, fuck you. (laughs) Excuse me. (laughs) (laughs) I said no. Um, And I managed to hold out for like a couple of weeks until I was physically doing better. At which point they were like, okay, you can't avoid this any longer. Like, you got to go do this thing now. So I did. I did it. I finished. I did the whole thing. I got through all my interrogation. I finished all of that. I restudied all of the beginning stuff. I was ready to graduate. I was ready to go back to work. I'm back in the group women's dorm for this, by the way, not allowed to see my husband again. And I'm ready to go. And they're like, "Okay, you can't graduate until you convince your husband to have a vasectomy.
0: Because you've gotten pregnant
1: twice in one year. What? Yeah.
0: Oh, my god. So please
1: tell me he said no. And please tell me he left. Nope, he got a vasectomy, it caused him a lot of pain, oh, cool. um, both physically and mentally. And like, really fucked up our relationship. Oh. Uh, even like more so than it already was. Oh,
0: honey, my goodness. I, you know, the damage this does, and I understand now why Leah Remini does this. And the ramifications now.
1: I, I was desperate. I was like, I can't yeah. keep doing this. I like I literally didn't have anything left to do. I was just doing like hard labor. Yeah. And then going and sitting in the classroom for five hours and like helping other people because I had nothing to do. And I had also just gotten through a fresh new set of indoctrination. So I was pumped and ready to go and like excited about Scientology again and like, super stoked to save the world. So I did. I convinced him to get a vasectomy and he did. And I was allowed to graduate and I went back to work. And as soon as I graduated, they said, okay, great. Um, Welcome back to work. Here's your comev." And what a comev is, is like being taken to court in Scientology. It is the highest possible level of disciplinary action that comes like right before being declared a suppressive person. It is a big deal. And so they waited until I got the abortion and got through my reindoctrination and was fully like cooperative and like happy to be there and back on board. And then they were like, great. Now, here's this additional heavy disciplinary action. Oh, my God.
0: So what I don't Okay, it's, it's almost like they're sabotaging their own indoctrination. Think about that. Because now you're just <laughs> it really
1: did. it's very stupid. Scientology <laughs> is very stupid. It's like,
0: like... <laughs> I, okay, so what'd you do after that?
1: So after that, I worked on a lower level job. That disciplinary action basically stripped me of my rank. Um, I had been like a mid level person. I had been like a fairly high level post for what I was working. And they just like bumped me down all the way to the bottom, made me a supervisor, which is like the equivalent of a, a classroom teacher kind of person. Mm-hmm. And I, I loved it. I thrived. Like I've always loved teaching people. And kind of the essence of being a teacher doesn't necessarily change even if what you're teaching is fully incorrect. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> you know, yeah, I to love um, to do it. Yeah. And I was super dedicated. I was like a super dedicated believer. Um, and I did really well. I was super productive, had a lot of fun, enjoyed it, whatever. Like it was cool. And then uh, maybe a year later, I got approached to go on mission, and I was like, "Don't do that. You don't want to send me off base. You don't want to send me out into the the actual like real world." Just so you know, I'm doing really well now because I'm living with my husband, and I'm in a low pressure job, and it's a job that I like, and I like my coworkers and all of that's super cool if you change any of those things i'm gonna lose it yeah and it's a real bad idea don't do that and they were like "Hmm, interesting point we're doing it anyway and they sent me out on mission Uh um and so for the next like two years i was off base i was out in other like local organizations that were doing the ideal org thing Working there. And because I was doing that, I got a cell phone and I had a little bit more, slightly higher degree of freedom. Like I could maybe choose what I was going to have for lunch or dinner instead of just eating what they served. And if what they served was not something I could eat, I would just starve. I actually was like eating mostly for the first time. Wow. Uh, The sleep schedule was still absolutely nuts. Like it was still not very much sleep most of the time. And it was insanely high pressure insanely, insanely high pressure. Um, but it did give me a little bit more contact with the outside world. Sure. So you get this cell phone and
0: you're, you're on this mission. And so you're not really where you were before. Is that kind of where you started thinking, okay, wait a minute. What am I doing? Why am I where I am now? I was actually pretty happy. They sent me out. Now I really don't like this anymore. But I do have the freedom to have a cell phone. And I do have the freedom to eat what I want when I want. How did that affect you?
1: So it actually, it was a very slow process. Um, I was out, like I said, for about two years. Like the whole first year, I wasn't even thinking about leaving. It took until the second year. And what ended up happening was I dropped my phone in the toilet and it died. And I called back home to home base or whatever and was like, hey, I need a new phone. And they were like, cool, it'll only take us like three weeks to get you a new phone. And I was like, dope, never mind. I will figure this out. Because I cannot be three weeks with no cell phone doing, basically I was coordinating logistics for people. So like coordinating flights, coordinating rides, like it was a very phone heavy job. And I was just like, that's not going to work. So I just got a burner phone. One of the staff members had a side job where he sold cell phones. He got me one for free. He like fixed it up. We did a little thing. And then all of a sudden I had this phone that was not monitored by the church. Ooh. okay. For the first time. Oh, okay.
0: And you knew that, like you knew they were monitoring you with the old yeah. phone crew. Okay. Okay. So now even more freedom. Now it gets juicy. Now it gets
1: juicy. And again, slow slide over the next year. What started out as me, like maybe downloading an ebook and like sneaking off to the bathroom to read it sporadically as like a little breaky break, yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. turned into, oh my God, there's like other people on Reddit that I could just like talk to. Yeah just like strangers and they don't know I'm a Scientologist. They can't see me. They don't know who I'm anonymous. Like they don't know any of this stuff. I could pretend that I'm normal.
0: And the fact that you say I can pretend I'm normal kind of makes you go, what am I saying?
1: Right. Yeah. It was just kind of one thing led to another. And there are some subreddits that are specifically dedicated to meetups and like meeting people online, talking to people online, trying to make friends long distance, stuff like that. Yeah. And so I became super active in those subreddits and ended up just spending a lot of time texting with random strangers all over the world, literally like people in Australia, people in Wales, people in South Africa, because I was up at all hours of the night. Yeah, Yeah, well, you
0: were probably used to not sleeping at normal times. So that makes sense.
1: Right. And so it finally just got to a point. What ended up happening, what kind of the, the breaking point was, was that... We were going to be sent home, and we didn't have a specific time frame. It wasn't like, okay, you need to wrap up your mission. You're going to come home on Tuesday. It was like, start wrapping it up. We're going to bring you home soon. Mm -hmm. And that could mean we're buying you a flight now. Pack your bags. Or that could mean you're going to come home in two months. There was literally no way to tell. Oh, wow. No way. No time frame. It was just like, okay, it's now or never. Like, if I'm going to leave, I have to leave now.
0: Right.
1: And I will not get another chance. There is not going to be another opportunity because what's going to happen is I'm going to go back. And they're going to take my phone, and they're going to inspect it, and they're going to find all the stuff I've been doing, and they're going to lock me in a little room and interrogate me again, and I'm never, ever, ever going to be allowed to leave the base ever again.
0: No, you're right. That's exactly what would happen. So, And the fact that you had just that taste of freedom, and knowing that the world is not so evil, and I know you kind of knew that already, you had friends that weren't in it, but you've been in Scientology for so long, B, that it's just... It was all you knew, you know, as an adult anyway. So it had to have been so scary, but so almost invigorating to know, oh my gosh, can I be free? Can I be free?
1: Yeah, it was insane. So the person that I was talking to at the time, who I had just started talking to, like literally started talking to him on Monday. And then on Tuesday, I was like, hey, I'm in a cult and I need your help to escape. Are you serious?
0: (laughs) No, <laughs> no, this is not having to do with any Scientology Reddit forum, right? It was just a regular. Okay,
1: so luckily, he actually had had some experience with the church in the past. He had been part of some like anonymous demonstrations in Minnesota, really? and was a computer security expert. Wow! And so, yeah, I really lucked out. I really lucked out rolling the dice on that one. Yeah. Um,
0: and normally I wouldn't suggest that for most to anyone else, because you never know who you're going to meet on the Internet doing that kind of thing. And it's almost like somebody was looking out for you. All I know is you found the right person. It sounds like.
1: I mean, I had gone through so much because by that time I had worked for the church for 12 years. Oh, that's a long time. Like, I, I think the universe owed me like one break. One, song. one single yeah. break, <laughs> you know, yeah. Uh, but yeah, no, it was incredibly dangerous. I just didn't know. I didn't have any other options. Like my yeah. other option would be run away to somewhere yeah. with no money. Try to set up something like because if I had reached out and contacted anybody that the church knew that I knew, they would have found me. Yeah. Oh, yeah.
0: Oh, they would have found you. Uh, from what I know at all about the church, they don't stop trying to find you.
1: Correct and we'll get to that Uh-oh. So okay. so I really incredibly Lucked out with this guy We did click instantly like we were talking Non-stop for like 24 hours Straight okay. and then I finally Was just like here's the deal I need your help I gotta run away like I don't know what to do So Tuesday I told him Like help and Wednesday He said okay I talked to my therapist And I talked to my friends and they're pretty sure you're not gonna murder me So I will help you <laughs> Um <laughs>
0: Well, you know, you gotta you gotta make sure you're okay. I get it.
1: I get it. Yeah, no, totally valid. So then it was Wednesday or Thursday, I don't remember which day, but like Wednesday or Thursday, I went to Walgreens, bought like a prepaid visa card, used the prepaid visa card to buy a, a one way plane ticket to Minnesota. Wow. You know, all using my cell phone, which was not being tracked. And the plane ticket was for like Saturday morning at 5 a.m. Because Friday night, there was only one other person. There was only one other Sea member who was on that mission with me. And he had a habit every Friday night. He would go to the gym, you know, from midnight to 2 a.m. And we had this routine down because we'd been out there together for like a year and a half at this point at that particular location. Okay. And so we had set routines. And so I knew his routine. And I knew he would be out of that house at that time and that that would be my, like, two-hour window to escape. Wow. And so I packed everything that I could fit into a backpack and a carry-on and waited until he left and, like, gave it an extra 20, 30 minutes to make sure that he was, like, really gone, hadn't forgotten anything, wasn't coming back. And, like, he was gone called an uber went to the airport like locked my door left the light on so it looked like i was still in there mm. uh just same routine like i had really established this routine because i'd been thinking about running away for a couple months and i was like i should establish a routine and i should like i should very do some smart prep work in case i go through with this very smart and it absolutely worked i was terrifying i'm like my heart is beating fast now remembering oh, it huh. like i'm getting the physical anxiety Mm. back just thinking about it um because i went to san jose airport and everything was closed down. Like you can't go through security after I think 11 p.m. or something. Oh, really? And so I had to sit and wait outside of the security lines in the little lounge area and just make myself as small as possible and just sit there and wait. And I waited until they opened back up at like 4 a.m. and then went through security. And as soon as I was through security, I was like, OK, I'm safe. Even if they come to the airport, even if they somehow figure out where I am. I'm through security and they're not going to be able to get through security and get to me oh. like I'm going to get on my plane. Oh, my God.
0: Oh, the PTSD is strong, I'm sure. And that's another whole issue that you probably don't even have time to tell me about just that anxiety level alone. God bless you be okay. Keep going.
1: <laughs> I mean, yeah. So the guy that I had met on Reddit, like stayed up with me all night. Bless him. He literally like, stayed awake with me texting with me the whole time that I was in the terminal because I did not have a single other person on the planet that I could talk to at that time. Nobody. Nobody could know because it would jeopardize my safety. And so he stayed up with me until I got through security. I got through security. I got on the plane. There was one layover, and the layover was at, like, I don't know, 8.30 a.m., 9 a.m., something like that. Mm -hmm. And when I hit the layover and I turned on my phone, I had, like, some ungodly number of missed calls and text messages. Oh. Just an insane number of missed calls and text messages. And it was everything ranging from missed calls from my partner, like the person that I was on the mission with, mm-hmm. to missed calls from people back at the base, back at the Scientology base. Um, I recognized the phone number from the specific organization that my husband worked in because I was mm-hmm. still so married at this time. Mm. missed phone calls from my little brother from my mom from various staff members in the church that I had been stationed in Wow. and then like, text messages from all of them emails from all of them like Just boom, 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 boom. Everybody trying to reach me in every single possible way that they could think of. And some of them were like, hey, where are you? And some of them were like, oh, hey, like, I can't find this thing. Do you happen to know where it is? Like sneaky, sneaky, trying to get me to answer. Right.
0: Yeah. Oh, Um, that I would have been scared to death if I'd seen that. I, that would have given me heart palpitations, knowing they're already on to you. Now you're on a layover. You're not quite at your destination. Oh, my gosh. I'd have been sweating bullets. Um, so I turned off my phone.
1: Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and I got to Minneapolis. I got to Minnesota just fine. And I worked for the church for 12 years. I am aware of the blow drill. I am aware of the exact drill that happens when a Sea Org member blows. Mm. Um, so I anticipated this like it it doesn't make it any less scary feeling or pleasant
0: yeah
1: you know like it doesn't make it okay but it also was like okay this is what I expected this is everything is they're moving like clockwork they're doing the thing that they were already gonna do you know what I mean
0: yeah
1: yeah so I got to Minnesota took an Uber to where I was gonna be staying I only stayed with that guy for maybe a month and then I found my own place, you know, started getting myself more established. It was, he was a good layover into real life.
0: Well, and I got yeah. I gotta interrupt you because what was so great about this guy is he said, I'll help you, but you have to go to counseling, you have to get a job and you have to get your own place. And I think that's kind of how you knew you were probably going to be safe with this guy because he was very staunch about that, correct?
1: Yeah, oh, he was super, super insistent. He was like, here are the, like, here are the conditions if I'm going to help you with this. Good. I had to pay him rent. Like, I had to pay him a bunch of money up front, which I understand. I never got my security deposit back, but I guess in the scheme of things, it doesn't really matter.
0: Yeah, at this point, saved you, yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah.
1: Um, I had to go into counseling. Like, even if it was just free therapy, even if it was not, like, an actual therapist, it was just some free, you know, center. Like, I had to go into something. I had to start looking for a job pretty much immediately. Um, He was like, you know, I understand if you need a day or two to just like cool down and and whatever, but like you can't be moping around here for weeks at a time. You have to hit the pavement and start looking for a job like pretty much right away. Right.
0: Yeah. Uh, Honestly, was probably the best thing for you, B, just because you would be in your head and you would be thinking and being a little bit more paranoid than the day before and the way you did it and the way he made you do it, you stayed busy in a good way.
1: Oh yeah, absolutely. I have no issues with how he handled that. Like that was really perfect. And I am very grateful for that because it gave me just things to do. Like it gave me a sense of direction. It gave me like a list of things, you know, check the boxes, start getting something back in order. I had to take out a loan, like a loan shark loan in order to get there because I had no savings. And like, Maybe, I think I had like a $500 limit credit card, um, but that's not even enough for one plane ticket, let alone paying him like several months of rent up front. Right. And I had no credit score because I didn't have any, anything,
0: And you know, it's funny you say that, because that's another thing. I've interviewed other people that have been like a Mormon, a polygamous Mormon compound, you know, um, Warren Jeff's 65th wife, I've interviewed her, and another polygamist man that was in a doomsday polygamist Mormon compound. And they didn't even have social security numbers. I mean, they had nothing. So... So, yeah, I I understand the fact that you were like, I had nothing. I had nothing to go on to work with. And you get told no so many times because they have no record of you ever anywhere except for a social security number. You probably didn't even have a driver's license.
1: I did have a driver's license, but that I had only gotten a few years before. I didn't get my driver's license until I was like 25, 26. And the only reason I got my driver's license is because I was on mission and I was doing logistics and I had to be able to drive people places. Yeah. Because
0: I know. Yeah. Uh, the younger ones and the people that aren't out. Yeah, they don't have a driver's license. So you get a job and you get an apartment. Now, is it the aftermath? The aftermath foundation, I think you talked about? Tell me about all that.
1: So I was very, very lucky in a lot of ways in this story. Because I know Chris Shelton personally, I was in the Sea Org with him before he ever left. And he had pretty strong ties with the Aftermath Foundation. He was on one of the episodes, one of the like, guest episodes of Leah's show where she had like a number of people come on and like talk about specific things that they were experts on. Chris was on one of those episodes. And he had been in the Sea Org for a really long time. And then he left and he got declared. In like I want to say 2013 or 2014, so I was only in this York with him for a couple of years. But like I knew him, and I had known him for you know years before that. Right. And I knew that the last place that he was was in Twin Cities. Okay. Like I knew for a fact that he was here Gotcha. or as of my last like Intel. Right. Mm-hmm. So I found him on Reddit again Good. and <laughs> reached out to him and was like, hey, I don't know if you remember me. Um, here's my name. We were in the Sea Orc together during this time. You would also have known me from this thing earlier than that. Uh, I left Scientology. I blew. I ran away like I blew three days ago. I have no idea what to do. Can you give me any pointers or direction? Like, do you know anybody here that might be able to help me find a job or a car? Anything. You know what I mean? Yeah. And he immediately answered me. I remember this because the phone I had at the time, like the battery was screwed and would only hold charge for, like, three hours at a time. Mm. And I was having this, like, text conversation with him on a bus in Minneapolis while my phone was dying. (laughs) Oh, man. Yeah, yeah. More anxiety. Yes. Um, But he answered like right away and he was like actually you're super lucky that I even like saw this because I'm very rarely on reddit but I just happened to be posting something like today and so I saw this and wow. he gave me his phone number and I called him and we talked for literally hours like we we talked for hours wow. and he was no longer in minneapolis this was like old news he had long since moved elsewhere Mm -hmm. but he still knew a couple people here and he also got me in contact with the aftermath foundation and so i talked to aaron who i don't remember what his job is i think he's like the president or the something Mm -hmm. he's he's like a co-founder i don't remember he's something he's something up there with the aftermath foundation but i talked to aaron again for like hours the whole thing and it was a huge relief both because i finally had somebody to talk to who like understood Yes. what I had just gone through. And because they were like, yes, we can help you. So I got a grant from the Aftermath Foundation, they nice. gave me two different grants. One was they gave me money to get winter clothes, because moving from California to, to Minneapolis in October wow. means you've got to have a new wardrobe, yeah. <laughs> um, or else you're gonna freeze to death. Yeah. So they basically gave me one grant, which was money for winter clothes and food. I had gotten a job by this time, but it, I was doing door-to-door canvassing. So it was a little bit sporadic and like not super high paying, but it was something. Right. So they were like, here's money that will tide you over until you get paid so that you can get food, you know, some money for clothes. They paid off the loan that I had taken out. Oh, nice. It was a horrible interest rate. It was something really, really gross and predatory. Oh, yeah. They, um, those that loans, I would have just yeah. been, I would have yeah. been stuck paying that for the rest of my life, oh, basically. Yeah. And they paid off that loan. And then they also said, okay, for the other part of this, we can either, if you want to get like a new car, we will put a down payment on that car for you, as long as you can like take over and make the payments. Nice. Or yeah. we will buy you like a winter beater, just flat out. And you can, like, have a car that's, you know, maybe not the most reliable car, but, like, a car while you figure stuff out. So I was like, okay, I would rather have something that's going to, like, last forever and not break down on me. So they put the down payment down on a car. I was able to make the payments. I got a better job. Good for you. Yeah. And it was really just, like, clawing myself up to the nail um, (sighs) to where I'm at now. Oh, and I tell you,
0: as my listeners know, I find a lot of people on TikTok. And, uh, and that's where I found you. Well, it was so funny, because what you were doing is you were talking about your uh, time in Scientology, and you're doing these little beads while you were doing you're putting together this beautiful artwork kind of beading um, jewelry that's what I can describe it. And they're brightly colored, and they're lovely, and they stretch, and you can make them into different things. And some of them are good for anxiety. And I know you do it for another cause, but you also do it for people that just want to wear it because it's beautiful. And we can talk about that in a minute. But that's how I found you. And I'm so proud of you, because you've got your own business going. And I'm just so proud of you. I know you have another job, but this is probably a side business. So you get your own Establishment there. But then you told me, we were talking just a little while ago, you were like, uh, yeah, but that's not the end of it. So are they still trying to find you? Are they still trying, giving you a hard time? I know they don't stop.
1: Okay. So when I first got here, they did find me within like a week or two. Oh my
0: God.
1: They sent my little brother after me.
0: Oh, jeez.
1: So what Scientology does, specifically when like a Sea Org member blows, is because they have the Free Winds, which is like the big Scientology ship. They also have, like, a registered vacation company is not the right word, but it's travel agency. Okay.
0: Yeah,
1: <laughs> yeah. Vacation company. Yeah. They have, like, a registered Scientology travel agency. And mm-hmm. so what they'll do is they'll have that travel agency look through all of the passenger lists on all of the flights, leaving from every airport that you conceivably could have left from. What? Yeah. They. How do they do that legally? Spoiler alert, they don't.
0: Oh, my. That's how they found
1: you because they what i mean i'm gonna throw in an allegedly here so that they can't sue me (laughs) allegedly that's what they do that's what the rumors are that i personally believe that is you know my opinion but yeah so they knew what flight i was on before i landed guaranteed it was just how fast can i get out of the airport and like get into an uber and like get gone because once i'm in the uber they can't track me right holy it's like you're in the mafia Yeah, yeah, it's a lot. So we never found out exactly how they found me except that we like we know they've got a bunch of like private eyes on their payroll and they will pay a bunch of money to like a private detective to track somebody down. It's not like super hard to do that. But they did only find me after I had updated my resume and started sending it out to places with my current address on it. And what we think happened is that the laptop I had was a laptop that I had owned for years. It was from, I don't know, 2014 or something. It was an old laptop. Right. And I did not reformat it before starting to send out resumes mm-hmm. and oversight on my part. I totally should have thought of that. And I just didn't panic brain, you know?
0: Yeah.
1: Uh, and so we're, we're pretty sure they had like keylogging software on my laptop.
0: Is it because they do they want to stop you because they don't want you talking badly about Scientology? Is that why they go after you? Or is it because they've invested so much money in you? You owe them money? What, what is the driving force of them having to make your life miserable because you just left their organization? You're not, you're no longer there. You wanted to leave. Why can't you just leave?
1: I mean, it's situational. For me personally, it was probably more of A, we don't want you talking badly about Scientology to people in general. And B, vengeance. Like, you're not going to get away so easily. Like, you think you can snub us. Wow. wow. Just pure, like, pettiness. For other people, like, sometimes people will leave and they will have knowledge of things, such as a lot of the people that were interviewed on Leah's show were higher up and had, like, personal experience with David Miscavige getting violent, which, Mm. you know, obviously, that's a huge PR disaster for the church. That's a huge problem. Right, right. I didn't necessarily have any super top-secret knowledge about David Miscavige. I was never high enough for that. So I wouldn't have been a priority in the same way. Mm. But it's like Scientology does not like media attention. They don't like people airing out their dirty laundry. They don't like having loose ends. They like having everything controlled. So if I was going to leave the Sea Org and I wanted to leave the like approved way, Here's how that would go. I would say, I want to leave the Sea Org. And then I would be interrogated for weeks and or months Oh my and put onto hard labor. Anytime that I'm not being interrogated, I, ha- I would have to be doing hard labor or studying. And mm. then yeah, that would continue until somebody decided that it was enough. And that's why I say weeks and or months is because I had seen like people who were very low in the organization, like the equivalent of janitors, for example. Um, If they wanted to leave, they were gone within like two weeks. But I also had seen people who were in higher positions, positions of power or positions where they knew organizational secrets. And when I say months, I mean months. I mean like up to six to eight months of interrogation and decks, which is heavy work. And then once you leave the Sea Org, you have to pay back all of the money for all of the training and, and counseling that you got, mm. whatever the like equivalent of that would be. Because if you're on staff or you're in the Sea Org, you get all that for free. But if you leave, then you have to pay it back. So Jeez. I would have been looking at like hundreds of thousands of dollars in debt to Scientology <laughs> before I was ever allowed to go back into a Scientology church to do any further Scientology. There's also like a huge social stigma mm-hmm. in the Scientology community with people who leave the Sea Org. Like, if you leave the Sea Org, it's you're the lowest of the low, you are a slug, you are a degraded person, you are scum, you know, you can't be trusted, you're lazy, just on and on and on and on. And so, you become like a real social pariah wow. leaving the Sea Org. And wow. so I was just like, I can't do that. Sorry, I'll just kill myself. Oh, That sounds my... terrible. Yeah. Well, I mean,
0: how horrible. I mean, and they're telling you, you you're terrible, you're horrible. You know, they're breaking you down. They're doing all the things they can just to wear you out and make you just believe again for them. And then after that, they still punish you, even if you're all
1: right back on board with them. That's a the big reason why I was like, no, I'm going to disappear or I'm going to kill myself. Like, yeah, that's it. Yeah. No, and I, and I get that. But now, are you free of them now? Have they stopped? I mean, we'll see if they do anything after this podcast episode airs. It's okay. been a while since I've been, like, particularly vocal about Scientology. I think the, the TikToks of mine that you saw are kind of an anomaly on my channel. I don't talk about Scientology a whole lot. Right. Partly because it is difficult for me to tell any kind of meaningful story about Scientology in, like, a 60-second video or a three-minute video, like, just the amount of, you know, even in this conversation that we've talked about, the amount of, like, going back and explaining things that I've had to do to contextualize one statement, it's very convoluted, and it doesn't make for easy, bite-sized content, so I don't talk about it on TikTok a whole lot. Right. Although I do occasionally get a bug in my ear about it and decide, like, let's see if I can ruffle some feathers. Let's talk about this. (laughs)
0: Um, Well, and you know, that's another thing I may not want to put on the title, Scientology. (laughs) Because they're probably perusing the whole internet of who's talking badly about Scientology. I can just say, Hey, I have escaped a cult <laughs> and leave, and leave it at that.
1: I do really want to do that. Honestly, oh, I'm, yes. I don't know that I'm going to get more on their hit list unless I write a book, but you probably don't want to be on their radar. So that's, probably a good idea.
0: Oh, okay. Well, I will do that then because that makes me nervous. Thanks. I'm glad I asked. So
1: (laughs) I I wouldn't particularly worry. Like the worst they would do about you is put out like a real lazy little hit piece about how you're a media shark and like you're just in it for the content and you know, whatever. Mm -hmm. I really, really wouldn't worry about it too much. Mm -hmm. But if you don't give them any keywords to ping off of, it'll make it that much harder for them to notice you.
0: Yeah. And I'm not like Joe Rogan as far as big podcaster. So uh, well, at least not yet. But I'll still title it a certain way because now I'm nervous. But no, now I want to plug what you do. And we don't have to get into the big logistics. I just want you to explain people what you make and how beautiful they are.
1: Oh, thank you. So yeah, I make a specific type of jewelry. It's called candy with a K. So it's Uh K-A-N-D-I. And I use like large plastic beads, like, um, like child's beads. If you ever made a beaded lizard at summer camp, it's those same types of beads, right? But I use those beads to make bracelets and I, I can make small bracelets. I can also make really big, elaborate, like, Some of my larger bracelets are easily like, you know, of six inches to a foot tall and like two to five pounds. They're They're beautiful.
0: I mean, they are. And the way I don't know how you learn how to do that, because B, they are absolutely beautiful. It's like artwork. You're wearing artwork. And it's hard to understand unless I'm going to have everybody go to your page on TikTok if they want to see them, because they're just so beautiful. And they can order your jewelry, correct, if they want to wear it.
1: Yep, they can order my jewelry. I have an Etsy shop. I also make tutorials on YouTube. Um, I stream on Twitch twice a week. Jewelry making, just kind of a soothing background, little like community thing. You know, a lot of what I do is I started making it to kind of soothe my own anxiety and have a little like Zen meditation kind of thing for myself. And a lot of people have also found that sort of peace with it. So I do make tutorials to to help other people also learn how to do that. Nice. Because like I said,
0: there, you guys, she does beautiful work. And if you want to buy any of her things, she just said she's got a, a link in her bio to order any of her beautiful things. And I encourage everyone to go look at it because they're just beautiful. And B, Bea, can't thank you enough. I know we probably could have talked another two hours and gotten into the meat of everything, but I think people have a better idea of what's going on behind the scenes. And I'm so sorry for the things that happened to you, but I'm so happy you got out of that and you're happy now and you're doing things you love.
1: Yes, I am so much happier now than I ever thought that I could be, like, truly. Oh, yeah, and thank you so much for coming on my
0: podcast. I really appreciate your time.
1: Yeah, you're very welcome. Thank you so much for taking the time to talk to me.